What's up, everybody? It's me, your boy, Ruby Rube, coming at you from the Gathering Strength Podcast, the podcast that empowers individuals to conquer life's challenges and thrive. In today's episode, I'm going to dive into the complex world of high-functioning addiction, and I'm also going to explore five essential tips to combat this hidden struggle. Are you someone or know someone managing to hold it all together while secretly battling addiction? I know I've been there. In this episode, I'm going to shed some light on the phenomenon of high-functioning addiction, where individuals maintain a facade of normalcy while grappling with substance abuse behind the scenes. Now, whether it is alcohol, drugs, heroin, it could be ice cream, Snickers, fast food. It doesn't matter. Addiction does not discriminate. And we're going to dive into some of the complexities around the high-functioning addict. Join me. Come on, let's go. We're going to discuss the challenges faced by high-functioning addicts, the impact on their potential, and the long-term consequences of addiction that can jeopardize their overall well-being. Hey, but don't worry. You know I got your back. I'm not going to leave you hanging. Throughout the episode, I'm going to share practical insights and actionable strategies that can help individuals reclaim control over their lives. Discover the importance of self-reflection, the value of seeking professional support, and the power of building a supportive network. Unearth the significance of setting clear goals and boundaries and explore the transformative potential of embracing healthy coping mechanisms. Stay tuned to the Gathering Strength as we provide you with tools to combat high-functioning addiction and unleash your truest potential. Let's gather our strength together and embark on a journey of growth, resilience, and hope. I'm your host, Ruby Rube, and you already know I want you to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger via 1974 as he was competing for the Mr. Olympia Bodybuilding Championship. I want your veins to have veins. I want you to have the buff body, the buff mind, the buff spirit, and the buff bank. Man, life is heavy, and we're not always going to have a spot. Now, I'm going to start off this podcast with a question. Now, this was a question that I read and learned about a while back and understanding or posing this question and then learning about it really opened up some realms of understanding in my consciousness that, man, I I was blind to. Now, here is the question. Why is a functioning addict the hardest to reach? And in today's podcast, we're going to answer that question. Why is a functioning addict the hardest person to reach? A functioning addict can be the hardest to reach because their ability to maintain normalcy in their daily life and it often masks their addiction. And this is going to make it difficult for others to recognize the severity of the problem. They may have a job, maintain relationships, and fulfill responsibilities. And this is going to create an illusion that everything is fine. Additionally, functioning addicts may deny or downplay their addiction. 
and this is going to make it challenging for others to offer help or intervene. The combination of denial, apparent stability, and the ability to hide their struggles can make it challenging to reach and support them effectively. Now, as a person who has struggled with addiction and dependency in the past, man, I was a high-functioning addict. I was a high-functioning alcoholic, just a high-functioning person. I was able to have the job, continue to pay the bills, etc., etc. But meanwhile, I was not fulfilling my highest potential. I was dumbing myself down with self-sabotaging habits. And along my journey, I incrementally began to understand not only how I worked, but how the world worked. I got deeper into understanding psychology, scripture, philosophy, and with all of that accumulated insight, intelligence, knowledge, I was able to get a clearer picture of who I was, why I did what I did, and ultimately, you know, pray for strength. Now, here are some general concepts and observations from the field of addiction research and psychology. Number one is going to be high-functioning addiction. Some individuals with substance abuse disorders can maintain a level of functionality in their daily lives, allowing them to meet responsibilities such as work, family, and social engagements. This phenomenon is sometimes referred to as high-functioning addiction. Now, continuing down that path, concealing and denial is going to be an attribute that can define a functioning addict. Now, functioning addicts, they may hide their addictive behavior from others, and their ability to maintain normalcy can enable them to deny or downplay their addiction when confronted. Now, when I say addiction, You know, this can apply to anything. Like I said, drugs, alcohol, food, fast food, just whatever vice is propping you up that you have no power over, that is your addiction. Now, there's going to be, you know, different levels and different severity to an addict's uh, self-sabotaging behaviors and consequences, but nonetheless, it is still an addiction. You could be addicted to your phone. Now, number three, an attribute is going to be reluctance to seek help. Functioning addicts may be less likely to seek help for their addiction because they believe they have control over their substance use or fear the consequences of disclosing their problem. Now, that functioning addict, they may feel that there's a stigma and associate shame to their addiction, their dependency. Now, the fear of judgment and stigma surrounding addiction can also deter functioning addicts from seeking support or treatment, even if they recognize they have a problem. Now, a few more key characteristics is going to be their performance at work or school or in their personal life. Now, high-functioning addicts often excel in their profession or academic lives. They might be successful in their careers, achieve good grades, and appear productive to others. Now, when you ask yourself, like, hey, what's the problem? I'm able to, you know, drink all these beers. 
I'm able to smoke all these blunts. I'm able to do all these drugs. I'm able to, you know, manage all my vices because, hey, I'm I'm still going to work on time. I'm still clocking in and I'm clocking out. My bills are paid. Everything is, it's all good. It's all Gucci. But hey, I'm going to get in to the, to the detrimental effects of remaining a high-functioning addict. But first, we need to continue to identify some key characteristics that contribute to a high-functioning addict. Number two is going to be social interaction. Functioning addicts can maintain relationships with family, friends, and colleagues, and their social life might not seem affected by their addiction. Financial stability. They may have a stable income and manage their finances reasonably well, which can further disguise their underlying addiction. Number four is going to be hiding the addiction. High-functioning addicts tend to be skilled at concealing their substance use from others, often using tactics such as secretive drinking or drug use. Tolerance and dependency. Despite Apparent functionality, high-functioning addicts still experience tolerance and dependence on the substance. This means they need to use increasing amounts to achieve the same effects and may experience withdrawal symptoms when trying to stop using. Last but not least, they minimalize and deny. Due to their ability to maintain a functional life, they may downplay or deny the severity of their addiction when confronted by others or even themselves. It is crucial to to understand that even though high-functioning addicts seem to manage their lives reasonably well, addiction can still have serious physical, emotional, psychological effects on them over time. Their ability to maintain functionality can make it harder for them to recognize the need for help, for others to notice the extent of their addiction, and this is going to make it challenging to intervene and offer appropriate support. Now here are the impacts that a high-functioning addict is going to experience negatively not only over their own lives but for the lives of everyone who you know loves them being a high functioning addict can have significant and long-term effects on an individual's potential in various aspects of life while they may appear to maintain functionality in the short term the negative consequences of addiction can eventually impact their overall potential and well-being Now, here are some potential effects. Number one is going to be physical health. Substance abuse takes a toll on the body over time. High-functioning addicts may not realize the extent of the damage they are doing to their health until serious health issues arise. This can lead to chronic health conditions, decreased energy levels, and reduced overall physical well-being. Another aspect is going to be your mental health. Addiction can exacerbate or trigger mental health problems such as depression, anxiety, or other mood disorders. Untreated mental health issues can hinder an individual's ability to cope with challenges, leading to a decline in the potential in various areas of life. Continuing down that path, performance decline. Despite initial success, addiction can lead to a decline in job or academic performance. As the addiction progresses, 
maintaining high levels of productivity and focus becomes increasingly challenging, potentially jeopardizing their career or educational opportunities. Continuing down the path, relationships. Addiction can strain relationships with the family, friends, and and your colleagues. As the individual's addiction becomes more apparent or affects their behavior, trust and communication may break down, resulting in strained or broken relationships. The list continues because, hey man, it, it permeates every aspect of your life. Financial stability. Addiction can lead to financial difficulties with high-functioning addicts possibly spending significant amounts of money on substances or facing consequences such as loss of income or legal issues. Stagnation of personal growth. Addiction can hinder personal growth and self-development. High-functioning addicts may find it challenging to address underlying issues or work towards personal goals due to their preoccupation with substance abuse. Isolation. Oh yeah, when you're drinking and doing your dope by yourself, expect to be doing it, hey, sometimes by yourself. You're not always going to have someone to join you in your misery. Now, as addiction progresses, high-functioning addicts may withdraw from social activities and isolate themselves from loved ones, missing out on potential opportunities for personal growth and support. I can relate to that. You know, um, you and your spirit, you want to go one direction, but your, your flesh, that monkey on your back, that's going to be pulling and tugging at your collar to get you go and isolate all by yourself. Just you and your dope, you and your drugs, that's all you need. That is all that the addict needs is their, is their next fix. And they don't care if they're by themselves for days on end. Now, because the, the consequences of remaining a high-functioning addict, the list continues. Legal consequences. Now, continued substance abuse increased the risk of engaging in risky behaviors, potentially leading to legal troubles that can have severe impacts on an individual's potential. Last but not least is going to be emotional toll. The struggle of maintaining the facade of functionality while dealing with addiction can lead to emotional exhaustion and internal turmoil, further hindering an individual's ability to reach their full potential. Now, overall, being a high-functioning addict may initially provide a false sense of control, but the long-term consequences of addiction can severely limit an individual's potential in various aspects of life. Once again, seeking professional help and support for addiction is essential to break free from its grip and pave the way for personal growth, improved relationships, and a brighter future. Now, one of the ways that I was able to get the monkey off my back, now it wasn't instant, it wasn't overnight, it took a very long time, but it was going to church, saying my prayers, and man, doing my push-ups, going to the gym, and incrementally taking those baby steps. And, you know, with every single rep that I was doing, you know, it wasn't about just getting a buff body, it was about Stoking the flame for my spirit. It was my brain and my spirit telling my body, my flesh what to do. And ultimately, you know, breaking 
breaking down the power that my flesh had over me by rigorous exercise, by going to the gym, rather than having idle time on on my hands. Man, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get these reps in little by little, day by day, and I'm going to incrementally get stronger and stronger and build the confidence that, man, I'm currently standing on a much firmer foundation because all of the little things that I did, all of the prayers that I said in the past, all of the exercise and miles and the miles and miles, the thousands of miles that I've ran that have put a much further gap between the weaker version of of Ruben and the stronger version. Every single rep that I do, I get a little bit stronger mentally, physically, spiritually, and that, you know, helps me to to maintain a, a healthy lifestyle. Now, on top of, you know, the high-functioning addict and everything that I just spoke about, there's a phrase, um, it is, it, it says, one is too many and 1,000 is not enough. Have you ever heard that? Well, if you haven't, good, I'm going to let you know what that means right now because it's important to understand you know this concept and it is a beautiful phrase that when i first heard it I, I recently heard it maybe within like the last 2 or 3 years but when i heard it man it instantly made sense now that phrase once again is one is too many but a thousand that's not enough now check it out mita this is what it means The phrase, one is too many, a thousand is not enough, is commonly used in the context of addiction, particularly with substances like alcohol or drugs. It expresses the idea that for someone struggling with addiction, even a single instance of using the substance can be too much and can trigger a downward spiral. On the other hand, the craving and compulsion to kin to continue using can become so overwhelming that no amount of the substance feels satisfying or enough to satisfy the addiction. Now, in simpler terms, the phrase emphasizes the dangerous nature of addiction where the desire for the substance can be insatiable and seemingly limitless. And this leads individuals to keep seeking it despite the negative consequences it brings. It highlights the all-consuming and destructive power of addiction, urging individuals to recognize the importance of abstinence and seeking help to break free from its grip. Now this saying, it serves as a stark reminder of the severity of addiction and the need for effective interventions and support to help those struggling with substance abuse to help them reclaim their lives and find healthier ways to cope with life's challenges. Now, through all throughout my, my podcast catalog, I talk about all of the different ways to cope with the challenges of life. You know, Benjamin Franklin, he said that death and taxes are inevitable. I'm going to add in trauma and stress and anxiety and depression and doubt and insecurity, all of those, man, those are inevitable too. And the easy way to cope with the uneasiness of all of life's struggles 
well, you know, you can just go to 7-Eleven, buy a can of old English, wash it down with a couple Modellos, go smoke some cigarettes. Next thing you know, you're hitting up your your cocaine uh, buddy, and now you're doing some rails. And next thing you know, you're up for a few days. And next thing you know, you're missing out work. Next thing you know, you're losing your job. Next thing you know, you're on the corner. <laughs> you're on the corner selling your body. In a nutshell, you know, that that's how it happens. And like I said before, it doesn't need to be drugs and, al- and alcohol. Whatever your substance of abuse is, hey, well then... That's what it is. It could be Snickers, Cheetos, porno, gambling, internet, Pokemon, whatever it is. There's something that is propping you up that regardless of, you know, how bad it is, you can still function with it. But even though you're functioning with it, you're not fulfilling your highest potential because imagine Imagine the good that you could do with the time and energy that you currently invest in, you know, your vices and your fixes. What if you were to put that into something that truly made you stronger, better, more resilient, more creative, so that when you are met with life's storms and life's challenges, rather than, you know, taking the shortcut and getting that instant dopamine hit, that instant gratifying uh, feeling that your vice brings to you, rather than doing that, you cope with it in a healthy way, man, you get stronger. That's where the real, the realness of life starts to take over. And trust me, I've been there. I know what it feels like to, you know, tap out, (laughs) to be in the cage with life and life has you in a chokehold and you can't breathe. Hey, rather than learning a new move or a new technique to wrestle with life and and remove that chokehold or that ankle lock, whatever, whatever pain you're in, rather than learning a new move to get yourself out of it, you tap out and you give in and you say, all right, give me the drug, give me the alcohol, give me the vice, give me whatever it is that's going to help me right now. And more often than not, those things that help you right now, well, those are the things that are going to keep you in bondage, keep you in shackles. And man, you know, uh, there's a yin and a yang where there's light, there is dark. And that darkness, every time you give into it, it gets a little bit darker. And every time when you have the opportunity to face it, Rather than, you know, facing it, you tap out and you give in. And that light at the end of the tunnel, hey, that gets a little bit dimmer. It gets a little bit less bright. It gets a little bit further away. And you descend into a little bit more of darkness. It get, the darkness gets a little bit more heavy. And next thing you know, man, you were lost. You're going to be looking at yourself in the mirror and you don't even recognize who that person is. You're like, man, who's that person looking back at me in the mirror? I don't even know who that is. I don't recognize that person. And that's when the real panic starts. 
Because how can you look at yourself in the mirror and not recognize who you are? You're like, man, how did I get so far off? And you're going to look around and you're not even going to know how to get back to where you were at. Or maybe you might have an inkling. You might suspect, all right, this is what I have to do to get back to where I was at. But because you're so much weaker and your addiction is so much bigger and heavier, well, now that seems insurmountable. The, the heaviness of sobriety, that seems arduous. And guess what? Life stresses, that shit doesn't go away. Now, because you're weaker and the stresses that you should be able to face and deal with, you know, the mental stresses, the physical stresses, the spiritual stresses, the financial stresses, you should have been able to handle all of those things. But because you are so weak, all of that stuff is 10 times heavier. And now as the functioning addict continues to participate in their self-sabotaging behaviors, man, they're, they're essentially just a skeleton of themselves. They're just a person clocking in, clocking out, and they're paying their bills so that they can sustain their, their habit. You know, that is a main motivating factor of a high-functioning addict because they know that, hey, if I lose my job and if I lose my house, I'm not going to have any money to do these drugs, to do these vices. I'm not going to have any money or a house to live in to participate in these self-sabotaging habits. So they at least have the mindset where it's like, all right, I got to at least maintain a little bit. But man, that's not how you want to live. Now that we have identified what a functioning addict looks like, let's compare and contrast that against somebody who has hit rock bottom. Now hitting rock bottom in addiction, this is going to refer to a critical point where an individual's life has become unmanageable due to the destructive effects of their addiction. It is a moment of extreme crisis where they may experience overwhelming emotional, physical, financial, and social consequences. While rock bottom can vary for each person, some common signs and experiences include the following. Stay tuned because I am at the end of this little segment. I'm going to share with you my little rock bottom experience because man it was a moment of of heaviness number one is going to be loss of control the person has lost control over their substance use and finds it challenging to stop or moderate their consumption even when it causes severe negative consequences yep i can relate to that social isolation They may withdraw from family, friends, and social activities as their addiction takes precedence over relationships. Now, imagine that. You know, rather than going out and being social and spending time with your family, your friends, your loved ones, your hobbies. Now, when you have addiction, you're going to sacrifice all of that to spend time with your new best friend, your new substance, because after all, that's all you need to be happy 
is your next fix of whatever that is. That's all you need. Another characteristic of somebody who has hit rock bottom is going to be financial strain. Addiction can lead to financial troubles such as debt, loss of employment, or spending significant amounts of money on the substance. Hey, how about all your money, right? All your money is going to go to your substance abuse. You're going to do whatever you can. You're going to sell whatever you got. You're going to just do whatever to get your money so that you can have the comfort of your next baba. The Another characteristic of someone who has hit rock bottom is going to be physical and mental health decline. The individual's physical health may deteriorate due to substance abuse leading to various health problems. Additionally, they may suffer from mental health issues including depression, anxiety, or suicidal thoughts. Check, check, and check. Man. Yep, yep, and yep, man. This is uh this is one of those things where I'm glad that everything worked out. I was able to find the strength to deliver myself from that dark place. And now, because I know that so many people suffer from whether it is a functioning addiction or someone who has hit rock bottom, you know, I know what that feels like. And this is why I, I have created the Gathering Strength podcast. Because, man, there are so many little things. That you take for granted and that you don't use uh, to your potential is just a damn waste, man. So here we go. We're gonna keep we're gonna keep traversing down this dark path of what it looks like and feels like to be at your lowest point, aka rock bottom. Continuing down that path as you get deeper and deeper is gonna be legal troubles. Addiction can lead to engaging in risky behaviors, which may result in legal consequences such as arrest or convictions. Now, I am one of the lucky few that I never got in trouble. I never got caught. (laughs) So I was able to avoid legal troubles. But man, that doesn't mean that I was out doing some dirt. Homelessness and instability is going to be another key attribute. Now, some individuals, they may lose their homes or face unstable living situations due to their addiction. That was another thing that I didn't experience because, man, I I had some backstops. I had a mother that loved me and sheesh, but my, my little guardian angel right there, if I didn't have a unconditional loving mother who knows where I would have ended up so shout out to all the unconditional loving moms that always have their children's backs now number seven is going to be lack of hope at this stage they may feel overwhelmed helpless and without hope believing that things can't get any worse now I can relate to all of that Now, while hitting rock bottom is a challenging and distressing moment, it can also serve as a turning point. Amen. For some, this can be the moment of realization that prompts them to seek help and make positive changes in their life. 
It can lead to a willingness to engage in treatment, rehabilitation programs, and support systems that offer a, a chance for recovery and rebuilding a healthier and more fulfilling life. It's important to remember that recovery is possible even from the lowest points of addiction with the right support and determination. Now, because hell is a bottomless pit, man, things can always get worse. Now, to reflect back on my moment of feeling rock bottom, because before that, you know, I had a... a, brief period of paradise where you know things were doing all all right you know i was playing with fire i was able to manage it and before you know it and i started getting burnt started to catch a little fire over here started to catch a little fire over there next thing you know my whole life is just on fire it has been burnt charred it resembles a catastrophic forest fire just devastation now, the moment where I, you know, just had that feeling of rock bottom, I was about, I don't know, 21, 22 years old, and I was driving. I had just been forced to move back home because I didn't have anywhere else to go. I lost my job, and I pretty much, you know, just lost everything because I had the party house. You know, it was good while the getting was good over there. But as the, the archetype goes, you know, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times. And I was at a point where the good times, it created a weak man. And there I was at my weakest. No money, no girlfriend. The girlfriend left me. Uh, no car, no job. All that I had was addiction. And I was driving. I was, I was probably going to go get, get my next little little fix. And then all of a sudden, you know, I just had a anxiety attack. I was just driving. And I knew that I shouldn't be going where I was going. But I couldn't stop myself. And the fact that I knew that what I was doing was perpetuating the cycle of weakness, perpetuating the cycle of addiction. I, I could not stop myself. And that was one of the first panic attacks that I had. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm downplaying it because you have to really feel it in order to get the absolute 100% feeling of hopelessness that someone feels. Because I didn't know how to get myself out of it. And, you know, time went on. I was able to, you know, make my way home safely. I was able to go get what I was out to go get. And then once again, you know, just going back through that cycle. Using, abusing, recovering, vowing to never do it again. And then I remember I was in a... I was driving my cousin home. And I asked her. I was like, hey... How did you get off drugs? And now because this member in my family were cut from the same cloth, her the same blood that runs through my blood runs through her veins, and alcoholism, addiction, 
violence, abuse, trauma. It runs in my family. But this particular family member, you know, she was able to transcend that. And not only transcend it, she has uplifted herself to a place where she is now uplifting entire generations and communities and members of her uh, uh, community. And I asked her, I was like, hey, how did you get off drugs? And she was like, mijo, I got locked up in prison. And I, and I thought to myself, I was like, damn, I don't want to go to prison. And I reflected on that. And at that point in my life, my family, they really started to go to church. And because I was back at home, I didn't have the party house. All of my friends, they all were scattered to the wind. My quote unquote friends, you know, they were just as lost, if not worse. And so I started to go to church and I started to see men who they had a shine and they were, you know, strong. And I would sit in the in the church pews and the the pastor he would he would talk he would spread his message and i felt like the message was talking directly to me and i was like oh wow you know so i started to pay attention and then there was a a sermon or a message that talked about faith and how all you have to have is the faith the size of a mustard seed and I was like, all right, hey, you know, I can manage that. And every single time that I would go to the church, I would feel a little bit more empowered, a little bit more uplifted. I started to participate in the church band with my brother. And there I am, you know, going to practice, to a rehearsal, and then church on Sunday. So there I am, three days, three days out of the week, just going to church. And slowly, incrementally, getting my my strength back, gaining my balance, getting back into the flow of life, starting to, you know, catch up to the rhythms of, of society. Man, I started to get a job. I started to, you know, pray more, read my Bible, started to do some push-ups. And as time went on, I... I didn't know at the time, but I created a little catchphrase for, for myself because I was like, you know what? Prayer and push-ups. This is what works for me. I'm going to continue to pray and I'm going to continue to do push-ups. Now, those two little things, they may not seem significant. Uh, I've spoken about this before, but there you are. You're going to hit your knees. You're going to say your prayers and you're going to stand up. Maybe you might feel different. Maybe not. And then same deal with push-ups. You're going to you know, do your 10 push-ups, 20, 25 push-ups, 50 push-ups, whatever it is. You're going to go stand in front of the mirror and you're going to be like, hey, man, these push-ups didn't do too much. It's like, all right. And you know, that's fine. But hey, tomorrow is another day. You're going to do it again over and over until the day you die. I'm never going to stop doing the push-ups. I'm never going to stop saying my prayers because that is what got me to where I'm at today. Now, if you find yourself in a position where you can relate with hitting rock bottom, hey, I'm interested in hearing about 
what got you out of that dark place? What got you out of the wilderness? What were some things that you learned and that you implemented that delivered you from the pit of hell into your own promised land? And now I'm one of the lucky ones because I had a supportive family. I had brothers, sisters, a mom and stepdad. I had nieces and nephews and they all without them even knowing, helped me to heal. They helped me to gain my, my, my footing back. And they didn't even know that they were helping me recover from the internal turmoil that I was experiencing. Those turbulent waters, you know, when I was around them, you know, they were the calm breeze that help, that help uplift me and... You know, it was that turnaround point that hitting rock bottom did for me that, man, I was able to use that as a jumping off point. And I know that many people, they do not have the same support and same structure that I was blessed to have. But man, you know, there's people who are much further off than I was deeper down into that dark pit who didn't have the resources. But man, you know what? Guess what? They found their way out. They were able to, you know, scratch and claw and fight back and not remain broken spirited. I'm just one person with one little story, but there are so many people out there who have shared a much more profound and dramatic story. And I would encourage you to go out and try to find and listen to those stories because if they can do it, you can do it. Now, to quickly recap what it what it looks like to be at the rock bottom, loss of control. Yep, I already highlighted the moment where I was at rock bottom and I was on my way to go do something and get something that I shouldn't be doing, but I could not stop myself. You know, that was the loss of control. Social isolation. Yep, I spoke on that. All that matters is that you have your little substance, you have your little drug, you have your alcohol or gambling or whatever it is. You're going to socially isolate yourself so that you can just be with your own little vice. Financial strain? Hey, kiss. If all of your money, if not the majority of your money, it's just going to that vice. Ask yourself, hey, where's all my money going? It's probably going to the thing that is bad for you. Physical and mental health decline. Now, when I was at rock bottom, I had no physical health. I wasn't buff physically, mentally, spiritually, or financially. Nah, on the contrary, I was quite the opposite. I was weak. I remember one time when I had moved back from my party house and I was, I don't know, probably weighing 110 pounds, just pale, weak, no muscle, just looking like a a limp noodle. And I was washing my mom's car, right? Because it was something that I had to do in order to have the privilege of using my mom's car. So there I am washing my car and I had my little nephew over. And I don't know, he was maybe about four or five. And it must have been hot because I took off my shirt, right? And there he is. He's standing right in front of me. And I take off my shirt. And the first thing he says is, ew, 
And, you know, in my own mind, you know, I knew the path that I was on. I knew that I was weak and frail. You know, my nephew could have just been saying ew because, I don't know, I'm just a dude with a shirt off. Or he could have been saying ew because there was a a puny, sickly, gangly-looking so-called man standing before him with his shirt off. Right? There I was, heroin chic, just looking like a limp noodle. Now, the mental decline, oh man, depression, anxiety. Um, a few episodes back, I, I talked about the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the second best time to plant that tree is today. You know, if you are on drugs or dependent or abusing substances, hey, you know, the best time to have stopped doing that self-sabotaging behavior, hey, that was, you know, last week, you should have stopped last week, you should have stopped five years ago, you should have stopped ten years ago, you should have stopped twenty years ago, but that's all good, because the, the second best time to stop doing what you're doing, that is now. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast episode. I don't know. I think it might be like episode 128 or 100 and uh, 129. But the podcast episode is called The Best Time to Plant a Tree. Now, I was able to avoid legal troubles because, hey, man, I learned how to be sneaky. and I just never got caught. I know friends out there who are doing the same things that I was doing and got multiple DUIs, got in trouble for, you know, just all sorts of things. I was also lucky that I never experienced homelessness, but I did experience instability because, man, I lost my job and I, I lost my bachelor pad. And uh, the last attribute is was lack of hope. And hopelessness, that's one of those things that, you know, I hope you never feel. But at the same time, it is empowering to feel hopelessness. Because if you don't feel that lack of hope, you know, guess what? Then you're just going to remain a functioning addict. As, as hard as it is to feel all of those things, the loss of control, the social isolation, the financial strain, the physical and mental health decline, the legal troubles, the homelessness or instability, and the lack of hope, as much as it sucks to be rock bottom, it is much easier to reach those people because they are at the bottom and that is the whole concept of this podcast is to illuminate the functioning addict. You know, the functioning addict, they're able to maintain and conceal and they, they, they think that they have it all together. And, you know, they're, they're able to interact socially. They have financial stability. They, uh, they're, they're good at hiding the addiction. But man, they're missing out on so much. Essentially, you're leaving money on the table because you are not performing at your best. Now, I have heard throughout my journey of understanding how the mind works when it is hooked on a substance, the psychology behind addiction, dependency, 
you know, once again, not just only about drugs and alcohol, but, you know, gambling, porno, uh, ice cream, just whatever. You know, I have always heard it be compared to slavery. You know, you're you're bound by shackles. You are, you know, isolated. Now let's explore how addiction can resemble slavery in certain aspects, focusing on the loss of autonomy, the cycles of dependency, the psychological and physical toll, and the potential for liberation. Number one is going to be loss of autonomy. Both addiction and slavery strip individuals of their autonomy. Slaves were forced into a life of labor devoid of personal choices and freedoms. Similarly, addiction can consume an individual's life, dictating their actions and decisions. The addict becomes enslaved to the substance or behavior, feeling compelled to feed the addiction despite adverse consequences. Now, cycle of dependency. Slavery perpetrated a cycle of dependency as slaves relied on their masters for basic needs. Addiction creates a similar dependency on substance or behavior, leading to a downward spiral of increased consumption and desperation. Just as slaves were trapped in a system where they were at the mercy of their owners, addictions can find themselves trapped in a vicious cycle they feel unable to escape. Uh, slavery also caused immense psychological and physical suffering for slaves, with trauma and abuse being prevalent. Similarly, addiction inflicts profound psychological and physical harm on individuals. The emotional toll of addiction includes guilt, shame, and loss of self-worth, while the physical consequences can range from deteriorating health to fatal overdoses. There's also a social stigma. Both addiction and slavery have been associated with significant social stigma. Slaves faced discrimination and prejudice in society, and even after emancipation, they experienced racial prejudice for generations. Similarly, individuals struggling with addiction often encounter societal judgment and misunderstanding, leading to isolation and marginalization. Continuing down the path, slaves were economically exploited as they worked without pay for the benefit of their owners. In the context of addiction, the substance or behavior becomes a form of exploitation as individuals may prioritize their addiction over responsibilities, employment, and financial stability. Loss of Relationships Slavery tore families apart as slaves were often separated from their loved ones, enduring heartbreaking losses. Addiction can have a similar effect, fracturing relationships and alienating individuals from their support systems. This loss of meaningful connections further perpetuates the cycle of addiction. Efforts of Liberation Throughout history, slavery has been opposed and actively resisted. Likewise, society has recognized the need to address addiction as a public health issue and has implemented various programs to promote recovery and rehabilitation. However, achieving liberation from addiction is often an arduous process requiring comprehensive support systems and personal commitment. 
Last but not least, the power of freedom and recovery. The history of slavery has shown that the pursuit of freedom is a powerful force. In the context of addiction, recovery represents a path to freedom from the chains of addiction. By acknowledging the similarities between addiction and slavery, we can better empathize with those facing addiction and work towards building a more compassionate and supportive society. Now, in conclusion, while addiction and slavery are inherently different, there are notable parallels between the two in terms of loss of autonomy, cycles of dependency, psychological and physical tolls, social stigma, economic exploitation, loss of relationships, and the struggle for liberation. By recognizing these similarities, we can develop a deeper understanding of the pr profound impact of addiction on individuals and society as a whole, and we can strive to build a more empathetic and supportive environment for those affected by addiction. Now here's five metaphors to put the visualization and paint a landscape within your mind. Addiction is a voracious beast constantly hungry for more, never satisfied. It's like being trapped in a cage with a relentless, insatiable creature that dictates your every move, leaving you feeling powerless and consumed. Now, do you want to go your entire life feeling like that? Hey, stay off the drugs, get your vices under control, learn how to cope. Addiction is a dark and suffocating shadow that looms over your entire life. It follows you wherever you go, obscuring the light and joy, leaving you feeling trapped and isolated in its persistent presence. Yep, no matter where you go, there you are with all of your dependency, your inadequacies, your anxiety, depression, your loss of control, no matter where you go, there you are, you bring your addictions with you. Now, addiction, it is also a deceptive mirage, promising relief and escape, but as you reach for it, the oasis of pleasure vanishes, leaving you stranded in the barren desert of emptiness and despair. Addiction can be compared to a treacherous quicksand because it pulls you deeper with each struggle to escape. The harder you fight, the more it tightens its grip, leaving you feeling engulfed in its grip, unable to break free. And last but not least, addiction is a seductive siren song, enticing you with temporary pleasure and euphoria. Yet, as you succumb to its enchanting melody, it lures you towards dangerous waters where you risk losing yourself in the relentless currents of dependency. Now, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to hit you with five tips to help you pick yourself up, dust yourself off. In conclusion, navigating high-functioning addiction requires a multifaceted approach, understanding, and determination. The key takeaways from this episode of Gathering Strength are, number one, recognize the hidden struggle. High-functioning addiction can be deceiving, but it's crucial to recognize the signs and acknowledge the problem to take the first steps towards recovery. Tip number two is going to be seek help. 
Professional support, such as addiction specialists and counselors, can provide invaluable guidance and strategies to address the root causes of addiction effectively. You know, you're also able to go on to YouTube, Google, you know, some people who have been there and who have done that, and you can gain some power and strength from them as well. Tip number three is going to be the power of support. Build a strong support network of friends, family, or support groups that can provide encouragement, empathy, and a sense of belonging during the the recovery journey. Now you're going to have to lose some friends because you can't hang out with the same idiots who, you know, keep you down. You, you, you're going to have to move on. That, you know what? That's going to hurt too. But, hey, take my word for it. There are brighter days. You will be delivered new people in your life who are going to be, you know, supportive. They're, they're going to be the ones who provide you encouragement, empathy, and they're going to give you a sense of belonging. Number four is going to be set goals and boundaries. Setting achievable goals and establishing boundaries around triggers can help maintain focus on recovery and reinforce positive changes. Now, these triggers that they talk about, these cues, I would recommend reading the book Atomic Habits because that is going to give you the psychological advantage in understanding how your mind works. Essentially, you know, These bad habits, they all got to go, right? It doesn't matter whether they're big, whether they're small. Bad habits, you know, we don't have any room in our lives for them these days. So go read that book. It's written by James Clear. And that one helped me a lot too. And the last tip is going to be embrace healthy coping. Replacing unhealthy coping mechanisms with positive activities like exercise, mindfulness, or creative outlets foster emotional well-being and resilience. Yep, reflecting back to that book, Atomic Habits, that I already recommended, that is part of the process. You have to get rid of one habit and replace it with another good habit because, you know, those bad habits, they were taking up your time. And what are you going to do with all that free time? You can't just not do nothing because idle hands are the devil's playground. And when you're bored, you're you know, probably just going to want to go and partake back in that self-sabotaging habit. So replace that old habit with a good habit and keep it moving. Now remember, combating high-functioning addiction, it is a process and it's okay to face setbacks. Each step taken towards recovery brings growth and strength. Amen. If you or someone you know is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out for help and support. Together, we can break free from the grip of addiction, gather strength, and unlock the potential for a brighter and more fulfilling future. I'm your host, Ruby Rube. That'll do it for today. Stay strong, stay hopeful, and thank you for joining me on this empowering journey. Until next time, it's onward, always onward.